It's November 7th, 2017, and this is Insight Out the Naked Truth, coming to you live from the Santa Cruz Mountains, from Lupin Lodge, where clothing is optional. But the truth is always naked. <laughs> I'm Errol Strider. And I'm Rochelle Alicia Strider. And once again, we welcome you to our home at Lupin Lodge. We invited you over tonight for some conversation about the human condition with all its eccentricities and what to make of it, sprinkled with laughter, good music, and the many voices of Errol Strider. Hi, uh, this is uh, Barney, and I am really looking forward here to this uh thing that you're planning here. It's going to be a terrific thing. You think so, uh, Rabbi? Oh, yeah. Why shouldn't it be a terrific thing? Every week is terrific because the host is terrific. If I do want to say a little compliment to you all. Oh, sure, and his compliment is always good as long as the, as long as it doesn't you know stretch your head out into shapes that are too, too big and too fat to get into any humble little place. <laughs> Thank you, guys, and what already with the insights. I like it, <laughs> Father O'Malley. Listen, our show is sponsored by Go Raw, natural food. All the nutrients nutrients are maintained while the flavor is accentuated. Go Raw, Safeway, Costco, Trader Joe's, and at GoRaw.com. So. Anyway, that's what I thought. Oh, that's what you thought? Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to know what you think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's why. What, that's what I thought is our featured phrase of the week. Lots to think about. Too much, probably. So we'll try and focus our thoughts on what really matters and how we would know. Mm. You can say, that's what I thought, meaning... I used to think that, but now I think otherwise. <laughs> and I'll continue to think otherwise until a new and improved otherwise comes along. <laughs> or you might say, oh, that's what I thought, meaning, oh, I thought that too, as in great minds think alike, or more often than not, ignorant minds, etc. Or... That's what I thought can just be a general statement that references some thought that has stayed with you regardless of its truth or accuracy and stubbornly holds on because it's wedded to your suppositions. <laughs> so hang in there with us tonight. We are going to see if we can come up with some that's what I thoughts that really advance our understanding and facilitate our capacity to think the best. Of each other, at least, which is a good place to begin. So, some of these uh, surprises that we expect tonight might be hearing a new great thought that all along you knew but didn't realize it. As in, oh, that's what I thought. Wow, I didn't know I was so smart. <laughs> but just a reminder, don't let it go to your head. Even great thoughts that go unexamined start to atrophy 
and stink. Ooh. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> well, that's what I thought. It's as if you read my mind. Really? And I read yours. Well, what, 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 we what? must be on the same page energetically connected. I mean, how many times do we get that realization with the people we care about? Maybe it's a thought wave. Sometimes it's simultaneously. Sometimes it's a moment after. And I realize, yes, that's what I thought. Thanks for the reminder. When we're in sync, your thoughts are my thoughts. Could be my thoughts. Should be my thoughts. May I have those thoughts? At least that's what I thought. (laughs) I didn't think quite like that. Of course not, because you're you and I'm me. And that's how we (laughs) arrived here on this planet in these very distinct forms. Again, I am so impressed by the fact that each of us exists in this self-aware consciousness. And from that unique point of view, we interact with this multifarious dimensionality that is life as we know it. And as a result of that, one of the things that happen is we have thoughts about it. And these thoughts accrue, and then they mingle and mix with other thoughts. And then they get expressed through language until such a time as we're walking down the street and we, one of these great thoughts comes to mind and we utter it. And someone says, after we say it, That's a great thought. (laughs) That's what I thought. Oh. Yeah. I thought it was a great thought. Oh, okay. That's what I thought. Okay. Here's a I great thought. I thought it thought. was a great thought. Here, here's a truly great thought that, that came to me, and I went, oh, that's what I would have liked to have thought. We can <laughs> always be moved by love. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. So if you're feeling stuck, I have felt stuck at times in my life. This was uh, back many years ago, and I remember I was talking to my friend, well, Let's uh, see if we can get a little naked here, okay? Shall we? So I was talking to my friend Barry in Larkspur, California. Barry's now deceased. What a beautiful, insightful man. And I said to him, Barry, I'm stuck. I am stuck. And he says, well... The I, the M is already kind of constant, and the stuck is what you're stuck with, so I guess the I is the thing that we can examine and ask, <laughs> <laughs> who is this I that is experiencing being stuck? And that I, now that I look back like it was 20 years ago, it was very nudifying. Yeah, it really stripped me down. Like what happens here at Lupin, people get stripped down in body, but to get stripped down in your thought system, where you start questioning your thoughts and assumptions, that's a very high quality stripper that you're paying for. Yeah, that's a bridge to the next moment in time. What's going to happen in the next moment in time, Michelle? Well, you don't know. That's why you're on the bridge until you get to the other side. (laughs) You have no way of knowing. You can think you know, but then when you get there, 
it's never quite the same as what you thought. That reminds me of a little story that is told in the Urantia book, uh, ostensibly. Urantia book is purported to be a, a revelation, 2,100 pages of very interesting uh, thoughts and comments about most any aspect of life that you could think of, except your own personal and private imagination. But that's something else. The story I wanted to mention, he, so he's walking on this bridge. Who he? Yeshua, oh, J Jesus, okay. excuse me, with his apostles. Mm -hmm. And he stops and he said, life is just a bridge, so don't get too attached to it. It's just something you're passing through, which kind of goes against the ego or the part of ourselves that is trying to hold on for dear life, thinking that unless it holds on. For dear on, life. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of realizing, as we are learning, that dear life is holding on to us. Oh, that's sweet. Sweet, huh? That's what I thought. And how did you come? <laughs> but how did you come by that thought? That's what I think our listeners want to know. I mean, how did I come by the, the thought, thought that's that dear sweet. life is holding on to you? That you said you thought it was sweet. That line. That thought. How did I come about it? You're the one. How who did you it come up. by? You said I thought. That's what I thought. So I'm assuming. Oh, I I'm constantly aware that life is on me rather than in me because the in me adds to the life out of me, but the outer life is always attached. As long as I'm here in this life. Hmm. Hi, this is Bonnie, and uh, speaking of <laughs> attached to life, it's very easy to get attached to life because there's glue all over life, <laughs> adhesive, and it's always wanting to attach itself to you because it's looking for a ride into the next moment because as far as it knows, it only has the moments that it was, and if it feels like it can attach, so it suffuses this glue. And the glue gets on everything, and then it, it it makes you feel stuck and sticky, and you want to stick to the to the known and the, the old thoughts because that's what it feels like is comfortable and secure, and then you can control, and that's what that glue does, and that's why they offer on eBay now a a substance <laughs> that removes that glue that is the attachment into life, so that you're free to be able to move on and have some new thoughts. And you can get this glue for yourself if you just send in the glue is is uh, pop-off. That's what it's called, pop-off glue, to pop off the parts of you that don't actually have any dimensionality to them and reconfigure yourself in relationship to the whole of everything, which is full of substance. At least, that's what I thought. Well, as long as you thought Thank it. You, Barney. Thank you, Barney. Well, you know, in some ways, I could almost say that's what I thought, but I don't know. You have a way of expressing it. That I might not have said it the way you said it, Barney, but I could think that I thought the same thing in a different form. Here's another interesting <laughs> perspective on thought and thinking. It's from a book called Practical Mysticism by Evelyn Underhill wonderful writer about mysticism if you haven't encountered her and you're interested in reading some of the best stuff about mysticism Evelyn Underhill, she wrote many books Practical Mysticism and, and some others anyway, in this book she talks about the three levels of prayer and the first level of prayer 
you, she talks about it as if you're walking up a mountain and you have these guides and they take you up this hill, this mountain of prayer, where you get closer and closer to the summit. <laughs> and the first guide is, is uh, the intellect, thought, words. And, of course, when we think of prayer, for most people, words is, is the vehicle by which we pray. But that can only take you partially up the mountain, according to Mrs. or Miss Underhill. The next level, that guide turns you over to the next level, which is feeling that there's a certain point. What does it say? It says you, you have to have thought, but there comes a certain point with which you have to discount the spiritual serviceableness of all thinking. And that's when that guide turns you over to feeling and it's a sense you're moved by a sense and you've you're beyond words and you're it's kind of like listen to the force whatever his name was barney no (laughs) and then just to cut to the quick feelings can only go so far because they're they're tied so much into your humanity but there's one thing that can take you up to the top and that is your will your capacity to choose it, whether you feel it, whether you understand it or not, you still choose it. And that, to me, is that great choice of faith. Hmm. And it's it's important to remember that we, you know, we basically learn, and we're here to learn, and new thoughts.
You love, you learn. You cry, you learn. You lose, you learn. You bleed, you learn. You scream, you learn. You grieve, you learn. You choke, you learn. You laugh, you learn. You choose, you learn. You pray, you learn. You ask, you learn. You live, you learn. Wow. <laughs> you learn, yep. That's what I think. <laughs> That's what I thought. That was Alanis Morissette. You learn. So everything that happens, in other words, is an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I listened uh, to um, some interviews with people who were very close to the people um, in the church in San Antonio, where that madman killed 29, eight, 28 people. And this woman who was very, very good friends with um, these nine people that were all part of one family. And she was talking about them. And then she I was, you know, and she started to cry and I started to cry and because I know, I know what that feels like to lose people that you love, but to lose them through a tragedy like this is really horrible. And she was talking to another friend of hers, and the friend said, when do you stop crying? Mm -hmm. And she said, I guess when you're so exhausted that you just can't cry anymore. Mm -hmm. And she said, when does it stop hurting? She said, probably when you just are so exhausted that you can't feel anything anymore. Then it doesn't hurt, but you'll never forget it. Never, ever, ever. And like when there was an 18-month-old child was killed in that thing. A pregnant woman whose child was yet to be born was killed in that thing. Eight months pregnant. And this guy started shooting before he even walked into the church. He was mad at somebody. He was mad at his mother-in-law. But she wasn't even there for that service. Then this other woman said, do you blame him or something like that? She says, how can you blame somebody who's crazy? I don't blame anybody, she said, but we have to live with it and we have to deal with it and we'll all be stronger because of it, but we didn't want to be strong that way. No, that's not how. Every moment of our life, things happen. We learn from them and some lessons are so hard. Some lessons that say let go, let go, let go are just really, really hard. If I could come in and make a little comment, that's... Almost like what I would have said, it's, it's hard, there's no question, this is the Rabbi Greenberg, this is no question that it's hard, and each person has to face some level of life's cruelty. And sometimes we ask God, or is there a God? Or That's one of the strong points of people who say they are atheists. How could there be a loving God when there's all this devastation and pain and cruelty and suffering. How can there be a God? No, it's just evolution happening in its happenstance way. And it's you never know. It's chaos. But out of that comes something that's in order. But I tell people, they say, Rabbi, how do you make sense out of this? And I said, you, you can't make sense out of it. There's no sense in it. You can't get, like you said earlier, you can't get this through your mind. And the feeling could get very stopped up in some feeling of 
the tragic feelings of grief, but as she said in that song, you grieve, you learn. Everyone is learning, and so what my faith, my belief tells me is that no matter when you leave the planet, you've started and you will continue, and the universe is on your side to make it possible. Whether you're here for 18 months or 88 years, you're, you're, you're on board, and that's where the faith comes in, to believe that, and it doesn't... Uh, diminish the grief and the sense of loss and sadness that you're feeling, but perhaps it buoys you up a little bit so you're not utterly devastated by these events. At least that's what I thought. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting that we have, uh, remember when our son said, why did God make us so breakable? And hard to uh, answer that, you know, why not invincible, you know, why? But I do think that the living life, with all its craziness and hardships and pain and joy, lots of joy, is there to teach us. So if we were invincible and not breakable, it would be hard to learn the same things. <laughs> At least that's what I thought. Huh. You know, one thought that I had that I'm going to share with you is what really makes life so funity? So funity. Funity? Oh, funity. It's a new tea. <laughs> funity. <laughs> and and you, you sip it eagerly and with great delight. Funity. Never mind. I'll go back to the sentence. What really makes life so fun and stuck on that word. So funny is the absurdity of resistance in the face of God's everlasting love. Well, you have to experience God's everlasting love at least once in your life to know it exists. I think if you didn't know it existed, you would have all those things you just talked about. It wouldn't be so funny. It would be your real life. That's what your life would be. And, and that is a big step for so many people. And I don't, I, think it's, I don't think it's any bigger than a step than the first step we take to walk. Really? Yeah, that's what it is. The first step we take to walk is like all of a sudden, then you walk. And when you make this step... You know, to realize that your your life is a school and you're learning all these things and you're moving on and you're growing because there is something bigger than your consciousness can take in at this moment that's kind of just there with you on your journey and there's nothing to be afraid of. Now, once you take that step, you're in a whole different realm. <laughs> at least that's what I thought. <laughs> I've been thinking about this, uh, not thinking, we have this process that we practice when you come up with against resistance, know that that's fear, and love and fear cannot exist in the same place at the same time. So you name the fear, and then you love the fear. And I was dealing with some loss that I had of something that I, I need and I value a thing, but still, my glasses, They're, you know, allows me to see clearly and somehow or clearly allows you to see well that's what I thought <laughs> now that you mention it but tell us about how you deal and 
this part of me won't let it go that I feel, and then I was asking, well, what's the fear in this experience of loss? It's already happened, so, and fear sort of implies that there's something possible to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. So, what's the fear? What is the fear in the actual experience of having lost? Fear that you lose more? Fear that you lose it again? Well, like you said, you know, it costs a lot of money to buy new ones. And then what if you lose those? And then you'd have to do it again. And why aren't you more careful? And that's the guilt part. (laughs) What's wrong with me? (laughs) Why I thought I was doing really well remembering where I put my glasses all the time. And why didn't I do it there? That's what I thought. (laughs) I was so concentrating. Every time I would take my glasses off, I'd put it very carefully in this glass case. And then... Week or so, a few days ago, I went to reach for them and gone. And what I'm noticing as I watch myself is this part that hasn't given up hope yet, that it keeps hoping. And when I walk around the property, I'm always looking for those glasses. (laughs) Of course, there's leaves and everything around here, and glasses are very hard to see on the ground, especially if they don't have any noticeable color, because you know what? You see right through the glasses, and you see the leaves. (laughs) So the only way... Well, I would have thought the same thing, yeah. But it's what is, you know. Sometimes we lose glasses, and lots of people lost their families. (laughs) Well, here's another insight that I have. I want you to see what you think of this. Judgment clogs the pores of our consciousness, making it difficult for the light of awareness to break through to illuminate our minds. Oh, I like that. If I could have thought that, I would have thought that. I'm happy to share that thought. (laughs) Judgment clogs the pores of our consciousness. Because judgment... First of all, let's define judgment so people know what it is that we're talking about. So if you are inclined to judge it, you know what it is you're judging, which is judgment, which is (laughs) what? I think a lot of people confuse judgment with discernment or even observation. You can observe something. Judgment immediately creates a a separation, whatever it is. You like it or you don't like it. I mean... You can even like it and be in judgment because you make it better than you. Well, someone might ask, well, you have to judge. I mean, how can you get through life if you're not That's judging? That's what I'm saying. This way we, we, we make a mistake. I'm thinking judgment is the same as discernment. We discern things. We see them. We make uh, observations. And we adjust our circumstances to what is in front of us. We constantly moving around. Humans are the most adaptable beings on the planet. I think the judgment is that we evaluate something and we use that evaluation that we lay on something, mm-hmm. you know, what value it relatively has, as a way to keep separate from it. That's so the kind of values judgment. come into play with judgment. That we, we, we create a value system that this is good, this is not good, this is, you know, this works, this doesn't work, but in a way that um, if it, when I think I'm judging someone, I always think of someone, I don't think of something more than, I think of someone that I'm judging, and they usually, I think of them better than I am, or not as good as I am, and that makes it real clear for me, you know, in terms of the judgment, 
whether it's good or not good. But when it's good, I don't know that I'm judging it because it, it works. So maybe that's a better criteria. Does it work? Is it more workable, right? Because better and best and bad and worst can, uh, as judgments can, you know, get really thick with that glue he was talking about. Remember the glue uh, that you stick to? Oh, sure. This is this is Father <laughs> O'Malley. I I remember he was talking about the glue that life makes available to you so you can attach yourself to it so it can go on its merry way with you toting the the load of it past which is already long gone but still it's trying to maintain its life force by attaching itself to you. It's kind of like pollen that gets attached to a person and as they walk around and, and then it grows something like dandelions and things of that nature around. And it, it wants to attach itself to you, the past. And sometimes it's good to, to, to do a past wipe. Oh, sure it is. It's a past wipe where you wipe away the, 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 the part that's really wasteful that wants to leave. And you just wipe it off and, and you'll feel much lighter for it. And, and it's a good thing that way when when the past when you have a past wipe and I think you're offering the past wipes aren't you this week Errol is a special well, <laughs> oh oh Father O'Malley you've been with Errol too long well <laughs> yes we have past wipes and you can get them in three or four, different colors and different sizes depending upon how big a, well a wipe is required how much of your past is sticking to you and for those of you who are anal compulsive, we have a double thickness past wipe to help you manage that anal compulsivity and its resistance to being wiped. If I ever thought about that, I would have thought about it. Aha. Uh-huh. But you want to know something? No. One of the best ways that no. I know oh. of, of uh, <laughs> that's okay, it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best ways I know of, quote, unquote, erasing the past mm-hmm. is not to resist it. And that which serves you is with you. And that which doesn't serve you disappears. Hmm. Well, that's what I thought. But then I started realizing nothing uh, really as it seems.
saw them with a smile. Say to them, don't worry, carry on just for a while. You get lost in a hurry, and you see it now. This was Gordy. There's a lot of profound lyrics in there. Everything you lost must have a reason if it is never found. Convince yourself you're better off and you'll be fine, or at least that's how it sounds. But with the dark comes a harsher light. I thought that was an interesting. Hmm. Harsher light. It's like you, you increase the contrast on your Photoshop picture. It's like a harsher light brings out all the imperfections. Hmm. <laughs> right, right. And what was the name of that song? Uh, you can't. Nothing's as it seems. Ah. Yeah. Nothing's as it seems. And he goes on. Uh, and you can only bear your soul when you think that this is your day. But when it's not, and you get shot. Thinking about those folks. You wish for someone else's luck, but but you can't do nothing. So you must be doing something. <laughs> Don't you know what it's like to disappear from someone else's life so you can paint your face with a smile? Wow. Would I have thought that? It it <laughs> seems like these tribulations and these trials that they they they're like plowing the soil. They dig a space in our psyche that's jagged and open and the soil of the ground is broken loose so that seeds can be put in. And I wonder if that's a good metaphor for what happens during hardship. Is that you're broken up, your expectations, your trust, everything is broken and your feeling and your, you feel your love can be broken and it's in that broken state. Broken like heart. You have a broken heart. That's what I thought. Yeah. But that's where these seeds get planted, and the seeds are the, the the aspect of our souls that want to blossom and fruit as the greater dimensionality of what we're becoming as we allow ourselves to to be interpenetrated by life, having allowed life to plow through me and break me apart so that there is place for the seed and the tears are the watering of the seed perhaps well it's very beautiful and in terms of imagery in terms of what I'd like to think and might have thought but I'm so aware that when you're in the middle of a loss whatever the loss is you know and you do have a broken heart and in that moment of, of feeling your heart cracking, <laughs> it's so painful that the thought that, you know, it's being broken open to plant seeds wouldn't even move into your consciousness at that point. It usually takes a long time before you realize that that's what happened to you because it will happen no matter what. That's what I thought. And. Remember that story we were listening to on the radio uh, about the, the fire. Someone had lost their home in a fire. And a woman who had lost her home in a fire 20 years ago. Right. Right. The woman, the Oakland lady and the Napa lady. Right. And how she was able to be there, the, the one had, right. had 20 years ago, and for the person who had just gone through this uh, 
it's a huge loss. I mean, you know, think of everything, every single thing you have accumulated in your life. Even a note you might have made them <laughs> that morning, <laughs> which you probably can't remember anymore because it's too traumatic. But everything, gone, gone. Pictures of, of memories in pictures, your computer, you know, everything. Because you had three minutes to leave your house. There's not much time to grab all the things you need. You know? But what will come from this new relationship? What is already coming forth? See, I believe, and this is my belief, that we are here to bring forth infinite variations on life and love as it shows up in varied forms of life. And and we just go moving along with all this, and it never stops, and we're always falling down and getting up and becoming more mature that the lady who had had it done 20 years ago so she could be there for someone coming along behind who has just experienced the loss. And she's had 20 years to uh, become more aware as a result of it. So her compassion has certainly grown. Yes, and I think we can think those things. I mean, I could say I thought that. Um, but I'm so aware of the immediacy of pain. You know, it's like like when you're right in the middle of it, all you need is a shoulder to to cry on. You, you can't even hear what people are saying you you just need to be comforted because it's uh, the burden of pain is so enormous so here's a way of looking at that from a spiritual perspective the spirit of truth ostensibly this new spiritual energy was imparted to the planet um, shortly after jesus resurrection and this spirit of truth is called the comforter and I think that word is very carefully chosen because what spirit does is it can provide comfort in the midst of this thing if we open ourselves to it. Oh, yeah, this is Professor um, uh, Schnitzer, and we have to open up, and, and, and part of it is the, the comfort you have to be able to allow yourself to be comforted. And the spirit that you are talking about is loves comforting. But uh, also reminds me when I was a little boy and I was playing a sport and I did I lost the sport contest. And I was feeling terrible, and my father wanted to comfort me, and uh, and he was uh, I wouldn't want to be comforted. It's a very interesting thing. Why wouldn't you want to be comforted? But I remember that very well. And he chased me, actually ran me down and comforted me. And when he did, I cried. And I think it's because uh, there's a part of me, the pride, having failed and, and the sorrow of having failed is too shaming for a person. I don't like to get this serious, and, uh, as you know about me, because there's so much to laugh about. And, but when you're, as you pointed out there, Rochelle, when you're in the middle of loss, it's not really time to laugh. But when you get to that time, and, and I don't know what that time will be for each person, <laughs> please call me, because whatever time it is, I will see that it's, I will make time for it. And then we will have a laugh together at how we misjudge uh, appearances. Yeah? That's what I thought. <laughs> we 
if you thought it is good enough for me, Professor Schnitzel. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was, yeah. I, 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 I thought that. I like to think that thoughts themselves are a comfort. I was aware the other day that I'm never bored. I'm never bored because I think, and my thoughts go everywhere. I mean, my thoughts are like, you know, my, my our grandchild has all these little people kind of things, <laughs> little toys, and she creates a world with them. And my thoughts are like that. I create a world with my thoughts. I mean, if a thought enters my consciousness and I stop to ponder it, to try it on, to see if it fits me at this moment in time, mm. and if it does, I wear it in my own inimitable way. It becomes me. At least that's what I thought. Mm. <laughs> that's what I would have thought if I had been in your consciousness, but being in my <laughs> consciousness, I, uh, you know, I think differently about it. But this is sub a song by Melody Gardot, and she asks this very important question, and it just ties right into what we were just talking about. My soul is a weary, my soul is a weary, my soul is a weary. I said my soul is a weary me bound where the whole wide world is free, yeah. Oh, Lord, who will comfort me? Is 
So we are called to be the comforters. Any of us who has accepted the possibility, if not the actuality, that we are deeply connected with all that is, and that which we share is this life force which continues to strive to be more alive, though it often will do it in misguided ways. Would you agree? What do you mean by misguided ways? Well, what each of us determines that will... Can I step in here? uh, uh, Yeah, Senator Beauregard, of course. When people try to get their life and, and they think their life is attached to some idea or some image or some thing or some activity and that that's who they are and they limit themselves there too well they're going to miss out on the actual life because the actual life is just bubbling everywhere and you can ride those bubbles and you got to be nimble though and the nimbleility I like to think of it as nimbleility is something that you do by by stepping along lively. You know, don't get don't sink your consciousness, your identity too do, too deep in any one place where your foot lands. That's what I thought. Wow, that's pretty good. It's a good thought. <laughs> it's a, it's, it is a good thought. I was as you were talking, uh, Professor. I mean, Senator. I I became aware that how much people that I meet identify their worth by what they do. So, like, when I have... Uh, Errol has taken on the the job of senior housekeeper. Uh, he loves it because he's got his own time schedule. He can make his own time. He can do it the way he wants as long as he does what, in his mind at least, is a very good job. And uh, cleans bathrooms, you know, cleans rooms, fixes makes things beautiful so that it's attractive for people to come in and be there. Okay, okay, what's wait, your wait. point? No, I just say thank you about um, thank it. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> See, I was getting self-conscious. He's talking right. too much about me and right. uh-huh, telling about uh-huh. me, and I started getting nervous because I didn't think I, des- I deserved it. Anyway, we have people who come here, and we ask them if they would do housekeeping, and you could feel that their worth is diminished at the thought that they'd have to do housekeeping. And, you know, I look at them and say, well, you know, and I explain Errol, how Errol deals with housekeeping, that it's a Zen experience for him. And they kind of look at me and they want to try that on and want to be, but their sense of themselves is so different than that that it's hard for them to do it. 
I judged it. I was one of those. There's a good example of judgment at work. I looked down at the housekeeping job. I remember there was a gal here who was in the cook, and then that wasn't working out, so they had her go take a in my mind, and probably hers too, although I can't speak for that. She dropped. Uh, uh, I saw her going low. It was, it was a more humble-slash-humiliating piece to be uh, un- until I took the job. And then, of course, I realized uh, what a fabulous job it is. Oh, this is Professor Umbridge. I must congratulate you, my boy. Those of us who know you and have been around you for years understand that you have this this judgment that you and your you know great intellectual artistic achievement are above all that. Did you say artistic or artistic? Well, you decide, my dear. <laughs> The, the verdict, the judge, the jury, excuse me, the jury is out on that one regarding you. So to see you just, you know, going along and cleaning up and and the way you approach each uh, yurt and, well, yeah, I see each one as this little piece of art that I leave and it says comfort. There it is, you see. It's, it, at least the space will be comforting. Very good. Well, I think you you have an excellent sense of of that because you you have it in you to be a very comfortable person and as a comfortable person a lot of people aren't comfortable people they're certainly not comfortable with themselves whereas on the other hand other people are too addicted to comfort and so they they create enormous discomfort for other people who who, who because they won't can't oblige to uh, interact with them in a they don't uh, want to share their comfort that's right <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> I can understand that. You, you know, there's there's a sense of uh, sometimes you deal with people who uh, try to take advantage of who you are and your position, in 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 a company or something like that. And it it's very wearing. It's very like, oh, what are you all bent out of shape about? And then I get bent out of shape, and there's always this thing like, I gotta get something because then I have more worth. If I don't Mm. get it the way I want to get it, I lose face within myself. And I think that it's very wearing. It's it's almost toxic. And I I get that quite a bit from lots of people who show up when you're the front desk of something, you know, and people are coming that you've never met before. And yet there's always so many beautiful people who are there and see you and include you in their life at that moment and there's real connection but the, the other when we want it when we tr- feel like we don't have and we're always trying to get something from people it's very wearing you know i i, I feel much more have much more fun when i can give something to somebody instead of just get something from somebody it really is a fun thing to do to give and when you feel like you have like one of the easiest places where most people can give if they know where someone is they can give directions 
You know, that's true, Errol. I noticed that. You know, there's some guys who I run into that are so, like, uptight, and they wouldn't share nothing with you, and they look down on you no matter where you were up or down. They would still look down on you. But it, but if you ask for directions, you know, they don't know you, and, and they know where it is. They could be the worst gangster, and then they'd kill you, you know, for, for your quarter in your pocket. But if you ask them for directions, they will gladly give you directions. But you got to be careful. One time I asked for directions, and this one of these gangster types, you know, he was happy to give me directions. And he says, well, you go up three blocks here. And he says, you turn to your right. But he, he did it with his left hand moving to the left. So there it was. His voice in his mouth said, go to your right. But his body said, go to your left. And I thought to myself, hmm, who am I going to trust? The mouth and the mind? Or the body, and I went with the body, because it doesn't lie. And sure enough, I went left, and I got there in time for the leftovers. It was a wonderful event. <laughs> so thank you, Barney. I, I wish I, that's a great example of what we're talking about. What? What was? What were we talking about? The whole about? story about you know guys talking one way, but his body's going the other way, and that's why. It's so important to have the body and the uh, mind integrated instead of going off on different ways because they get lost when they get separated. And you get, uh, what do they say in Yiddish? What is it, Rabbi? Fakakta? Fakakta, yeah. That's, it's such a perfect word for what happens. When because it sounds exactly like what it is. It does. Uh-huh. Well, that's what I would have thought. That's what I thought. I mean, that's amazing that indeed it sounds like what it is. The interesting thing I heard recently is there are 7,000 languages on this planet. So if you have a thought in a language that someone doesn't understand, how do you make yourself understood? How does someone understand you if they don't understand you? And it's a dilemma, and yet it's it's a marvelous opportunity to go beyond words and really, you know, understand people without hearing what they have to say about themselves or anything else. When I the first time I went to Europe um, and left this country, I was in a country where people were speaking a language I didn't understand, and yet I felt I understood people more that time than I ever did in my life. Because I, I just could feel them. I could feel where right. they were coming from at all times. And if they're feeling the, what I got from them was kind of heavy, toxic, I didn't engage. Now, they could have been saying really nice things would have, mm. to lure me in to do me harm, let's say. But if I could, but I listened to that other voice, that voice that was physical oh. and emotional, yeah. and uh, I was always, always... Uh, Led by angels. Oh, that's what I thought. <laughs> Speaking of who I and who we are, this is Inside Out, The Naked Truth. I'm Errol Strider, and this person... I'm Rochelle Alicia Strider. And she's just the cutest little thing. <laughs> <laughs> she's very tall and uh, little. She's gotten littler, as I have. We've both kind of dropped a couple inches as we've aged. And you can reach us by sending an email to e Strider at gmail dot 
gmail.com. That's my announcing email voice. And you can go to uh, thelaughingheart.org where we have videos and uh, sayings and photographs and all kinds of things that we've created over the years. And again, I want to sp- uh, sp- I started to say I want to spank our sponsor. <laughs> we don't <laughs> want to spank you, I want to spank our sponsor. <laughs> no, neither work. Uh, go Raw for making it possible for us to share this with you. And do yourself a treat, you know. Uh, give you, get some Go Raw. It is raw food. It's not cooked to the point where anything is uh, broken down. Or changed energetically or whatever Except the word. Except possibly the body that's eating it. Well, Maybe. yeah. But the thing is that, you know, it's it's so good for you because you're getting everything that is in that particular food. That's what I thought. And I could say the same thing about the naked truth. When you get truth where it's stripped away from uh, pretension and assumption and even knowledge and allow yourself to drop in, and I'd like to leave you with this tonight... It's so helpful to kind of drop outside of your thought system and your awareness and your perceptions and your frame of references and just be still and be in the unknowing. And believe me, you'll learn a lot. And just as important, you'll unlearn a lot. (laughs) Well, you have to take some clothes off to put new clothes on. That's why the guy said you can't put new beer into old beer skins. Well, we don't think that's what it was, but and I wouldn't even have thought ale? of that. Ale? Was it ale? <laughs> no. It was ale. ale. I think it was wine, honey. Okay. Well, that being said, did I leave anything out about announcing? Probably yeah, no. I, I left out the rest of infinity, so come back on, for another show, <laughs> and we'll see if we can chip away at it. In the meantime, Rochelle, what do we need to remember? We need to remember that resistance is what you add to pain to make it last longer and hurt more. That's what I thought. 